Amen. Thank you for that. I have a question for you this morning. Are you an American Christian? Or are you a Christian American? Now some would say that's just a play on words and there's no real difference between the two, but I beg to differ. There's a vast difference between being an American Christian and being a Christian American. Now, I know it's not in the United States of America, but I've been appalled this week by an article that was referred to by another article by Dr. Al Mohler. And the article is about a uh, pastor in the United Church of Canada. There's been a great deal of... Uh, Debate, confrontation, conflict, call for resignation since 2005 because this particular pastor is a female atheist. A female atheist serving as pastor of a church of Jesus Christ. I'd like to know what she says, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd like to just know what the woman says when she gets up to speak. She says that she would rather not be called an atheist, she would rather be called a non-theist. Now that's a play on words. She's an atheist. She does not believe in the existence of God, any God. A non-theist. Now, I, I realize that's a rather extreme example. I, I realize that, but uh, it doesn't hit very far from home. And I won't even go beyond the uh, umbrella tent of our Southern Baptist Convention, where we now have churches that are openly accepting to the marriage of male, female, male and male and female, female, homosexual relationships, Got one just down the street, as a matter of fact. Where have we, where have we gotten the idea that God could applaud such appalling, abominable activity? How's that possible? Dr. Moeller, in his article, says the church today needs to reclaim an ancient, outdated, antiquated practice. That's the practice of church discipline. Now, we shouldn't be above and beyond. We shouldn't be even proud of the fact that we have to engage in church discipline, but there are occasions when it is a necessity. And that's the reason I pose the question, are you an American Christian or are you a Christian American? Because if you are an American Christian, then it's easy to be duped by the American culture. I want to read a passage to you this morning that I hope will shed some light on this subject. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 11. Paul says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. 
For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word. Now, bless the preaching and the hearing of your word to your glory, and we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I see a great danger in the world today. Let's narrow that down. I see a great danger in the United States of America. I see a grave danger not only in our American culture, but in our American church. I see a grave danger in the fact that we are becoming too comfortable with a sinful society. Where is the voice that should be heard? Now, please understand me. I realize there are those out there who who completely adamantly disagree with everything I'm going to say this morning, and that is their right. And I have to respect their right to disagree with me. But as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even as a Christian, a child of God, disregarding the fact that he called me to preach, just being a child of God, it calls me to a higher standard. It calls me actually to the standard of holiness, even to the standard of perfection. The Bible says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's my obligation. Now, of course, the question comes, is it possible to live a perfectly sinless life? And the answer, of course, is no, but that gives us no right not to try. I should live my life. You should live your life as a professing believer in Jesus Christ. We should strive with all of our energy and with all of our might to live our lives as closely to the standard of holiness that Jesus himself set for us as we possibly can by the enabling, empowering grace of God. And yet we see so many this day and time who seem to not only condone culture, but actually embrace culture. I just want to sound a warning this morning about becoming accustomed to the dark. Getting used to it. Getting used to the sinfulness of our society. Getting used to it to the point and to the degree that I just sort of turn a blind eye to it. It doesn't bother me anymore. Some of us, maybe a few of us sitting here this morning can remember back in 1973 when the decision of Roe v. Wade was made and how Christians came out like an army in opposition to that decision. Now it's just ho-hum. 
we've acclimated ourselves to the darkness of our society. Now, if you noticed carefully as I was reading through this text, there is a play that Paul uses between them and us. There are pronouns that we need to take into careful consideration in this text because he's talking about two distinct groups of people, them and us, they and we. And Paul is saying in no uncertain terms that there should be such a distinct difference between them and us that there should never be any question as to which one we are. Have we uh, so blended in with them that even they can't distinguish us? I want to just walk through this passage quickly this morning. And I want to share with you what Paul has to say about them. And then I'm going to talk about what he says about us. First of all, he says about them, the children of night, that they are deceived by darkness. He says, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need to write that I should write to you, for you yourselves know that the, uh, perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You should know this, Paul says. I'm not talking to you about anything you haven't heard before. This is the elementary teachings of the gospel. This is just the basic truth. You ought to know this already. I shouldn't have to remind you of this. But some of you have become deceived. Listen to verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, woman, and they shall not escape. Paul is drawing the picture here of of a group of people who have been deceived by darkness. And he's saying to us, you should not be like them. The darkness of the world, the darkness of our culture, the darkness of our society should not so blind the spiritual eyes that you have received from God that you lose sight of who you are and who you represent. There should be a distinct difference because they are deceived. They've been duped by darkness. Sad reality is, too many of us seem to have been duped by darkness. Several years ago, in church I was pastoring, There was a couple in the church that were engaged to be married. And uh, they had set a date. It was probably a couple of years in the future. I can't remember exactly, but it happened to pass in the passing of time before their date to be married that her grandfather died. And in passing, he left her his house. They come to me all excited, Pastor, isn't God good? He's given us a house we can go in and move in together. I said, really? Really? Do you you think that's what would honor God? I mean, okay, you've got a house. 
if, if you think that's a sign of God that you need to go ahead and get married, get married. But don't you dare move into that house until you get married. They got married and they left the church. Deceived by darkness. Honestly believing their minds by their own admission, we believe this is a sign that God has set His blessing on us. Oh my. There were so many times in the Old Testament when the Israelites would go through periods of great prosperity and they thought of that as the blessing of God and it turned to be one of the worst curses and judgments of God they could possibly imagine. Just because something appears to be good that doesn't make it good, just because everyone is out there doing it doesn't mean I have to do it. Just because it's accepted by the masses doesn't mean it has to be accepted by me. They, Paul says, they are deceived by darkness. They have had their minds confused. There's so many things that would confuse a Christian's mind, right? I mean, granted, there are things we, as conservative, Bible-believing Christians, can disagree on, right? I mean, we can disagree on certain aspects of theology and doctrine. But on those basics, and especially on the thou shalt nots, there, there shouldn't be any gray area there, should there? I mean, it shouldn't be left up to me to decide, okay, God said to them that they should not, but maybe he's got a different opinion of me. No, he hasn't. Uh, I can't find anywhere in Scripture where it says God changed his mind. Paul says one of the outstanding characteristics of the children of night is that they're deceived. Their minds have been enslaved by the darkness, philosophical darkness, theological darkness, social darkness, political darkness. Darkness is pervasive. And Paul says when we give ourselves over to the deceit of darkness, we become, oh, we just become sort of comfortable. He says, those that sleep, sleep in the night. That's a, that's a depiction of those who have now grown so comfortable that their minds are perfectly at peace living in darkness. You probably know something, don't you? I do. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. I, it's not my right to judge. But Jesus did say, did he not? You'll know them by the fruit they bear. And when you look at these who profess to be believers, but who are so comfortable in their sin, you know they've been deceived, and now they've just grown comfortable. I don't feel God convicting me about this. Well, listen, if God's already clearly said it in His Word, He doesn't have to convict you. We get all that turned around and confused, don't we? When I first went into the pastoral ministry, I got into a discussion with a gentleman who said, God has never called me to witness. I said, He doesn't have to call you to do something He's already commanded that you do. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. That's all of us. 
you don't have to receive a direct calling from God to do what God has already commanded you to do. And yet we get comfortable in our disobedience. We get comfortable doing the things He tells us not to do, or we get comfortable in doing the thing, not doing the things He tells us to do. We just get comfortable in disobeying God. That's what happens. Spiritual darkness causes us to be deceived, and in our spirit of deceit, we become drowsy. It gets worse. Paul says those who sleep, sleep in the night, and those who are drunk are drunk in the night. There's a cover of spiritual darkness. Do you know that? I mean, Paul, he's talking about this covering of spiritual darkness. You ever seen anybody drunk? They may say something to this effect. I didn't know what I was doing. I was under the control of the alcohol. Well, they are right in one sense. They were under the control of the alcohol. Now, that doesn't present itself as a justifiable defense for the person who's driving drunk and hits somebody and kills someone. They can't use it as a justifiable defense that I was drunk. I was out of control. No, you weren't out of control. You were under control. You were under the control of the alcohol. Paul says those who are drunk are drunk at night. They're drunk. They're intoxicated by the darkness that is so pervasive in our society. They're under the control. As a matter of fact, to let us know how Paul understands this, he tells us in another of his letters, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you see the contrast that he's drawing there? He's saying you're under the control of one or the other. You're not out of control when you're intoxicated. You're under the control of the alcohol. You're not out of control when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Don't get drunk in the spiritual darkness that is so pervasive. Don't allow yourself to become intoxicated by academia, by intellectualism. Don't think because you got a degree on your wall from a liberal university that you've all of a sudden automatically become one of the smartest people on planet Earth. No. You've just been deceived. You've just been shrouded in darkness. Paul says there's the beginning stage, which is deceit by the darkness. Then there's the comfort stage where you're just drowsy. You're comfortable in the darkness. Then there's the total intoxication where you're intoxicated. You're under the control of the influence of the darkness. And the worst is still yet to come. Paul says you go through these stages of deceit and drowsiness and drunkenness. And it will destroy you. When they say, when they say, verse 3, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. Oh, my. 
Oh, they think everything's fine. Those that are really out there, them, unbelievers, they think everybody, everything's just right. Couldn't be better. I don't need God. Why do I need God when I got everything I could ever possibly want? They're deceived. They're comfortable. They're intoxicated. They'll be destroyed. But now, quickly, let's look on the flip side of the coin and consider what Paul says about characteristics of us, children of light. He would lead us, first of all, to believe that they, we, have an awareness of God. We don't lose sight of the reality of the presence of the living God. A little book that I've read countless times and given it to so many people to read is a little book by Brother Lawrence entitled Practicing the Presence of God. It's just a series of letters in which Brother Lawrence is conveying his desire to have a conscious awareness of the presence of God every moment of life. Wouldn't that be fantastic? The very first thought that enters my mind when I awaken in the morning and the very last thought that leaves my mind when I close my eyes and sleep and every thought in between consumed with thoughts of God. They have no thought for God. Paul says we need to have a constant, continual awareness of the presence of God. I'll guarantee you that would probably radically change some of our behavior patterns. You know that little cliche we came up with several years ago, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's pretty good. But you've got to be constantly aware of that. To constantly, every moment, be aware of the presence of God would radically transform the lives of most professing believers I know. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I just mean it from human observation. Because it seems to me that so many who profess the name of Christ show no reality in their day-to-day life and activity. Paul says one outstanding characteristic here of us is that we're not like them. We're walking in the light. We're walking in His presence. We are living in the awareness of who He is. He says, secondly, they have on the armor of God. Now, he doesn't go into a great deal of detail with armor here as he does in Ephesians, but he does talk about the importance of us being armed in order to to fight against all the onslaught of darkness out there. We have to always be on guard. We have to have on that, that breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation We always need to be clothed, armed with the armor of God. And notice the armor of God, it's not my armor, it's His armor that He clothes me with if, and that's a big if, if I allow Him to clothe me. I can discard that armor. I can take off the helmet, breastplate, and I can open myself up to all the fiery darts of the evil one. And when I do, guess what? I'm going to be deceived. 
I'm going to become comfortable in my deceit. It is going to intoxicate me to the point that I'm no longer walking with him. Rather, I'm walking with them. I'll lose my testimony. I'll lose my reputation. I'll lose all the ability that God has given to me. I will, as Paul says in another of his letters, I will become a castaway, not in the sense of losing my salvation, but losing all influence. But Paul says we're not like that. We do have the armor of God. Use it. Use it wisely. Use it consistently. And then the third thing Paul says about us is that we have an appointment with God. He says they are appointed to wrath, but we're not appointed to wrath. Now, that doesn't mean the church of Jesus Christ is not going to suffer in the waning days of this age. We will. Jesus made that amply clear. Paul, in, in his letter, pastoral letters, talks about the perilous times that are going to come upon the earth. There's going to come the time when people will they'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power of God. That's not them out there. That's us in here. When we go through the motions... There's just no reality. It's all ritual and ceremony. We, we buy into the concept that as long as I do this and this and this and this, I can then go out and do that and that and that and that, and it all balances out in the end. There's a word for that, spiritual hogwash. You can't do that. You can't do that. Not if you're striving to walk with Him. Paul says, okay, here's the difference. Here's the difference. Here's the children of darkness and night. Here's the children of daytime and light. And I think the gist of the passage is this. Be very, very careful that you, one who identifies yourself as a children of light, bear testimony to the, to the darkness. Don't do that. I'm going to close by simply saying this. In our modern contemporary culture, where we've got all of these professing believers who are embracing all manner of sinful lifestyle, believing that they are right with God, if we're not careful, it can flow into the church. And the church itself, the, the local body of believers, can, embracing, can begin embracing darkness rather than light. Have you ever noticed that on a very, very dark night, maybe it's cloudy, no stars shining, no moon, no street lights anywhere around, it's just dark. You walk into a room and you turn on the light. Now what happens? Does the darkness penetrate the lighted room? Or does the light penetrate the darkness? Well, we all know the answer to that. Darkness doesn't penetrate light. Light shoots a beam right through the heart of darkness, but once we have acclimated ourselves to the darkness, we have lost our light. 
we just blend in. Lucille Ball, just prior to her death, was in an interview. And the interviewer said, Ms. Ball, you have been in the television industry so, so many years. If there's any one thing you could say about what you've seen in the television industry over all these years, what would you say? And I'm sure this interviewer was looking for some inspiring dialogue. Lucille Ball sat there for a few moments. You could tell she was really seriously contemplating question and how she would frame her answer. Finally, after several seconds of total silence, she looked up into the eyes of the interviewer and said simply this, I'm ashamed that I'm not ashamed. How many professing believers today, in all honesty, would have to stand and say, I'm ashamed that I've embraced ideas, thoughts, actions, behavior that do not shame me. Let's not, brothers and sisters, let's not allow ourselves to ever succumb to the darkness. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, in our society, in our contemporary culture, there are so many changes taking place. We see it in every avenue of life, including church life, where it should never take place, but it does, because we flirt around too much with darkness, and we turn our backs too often on the light. Give us grace to stand true. Stand firm and stand fast for the glory and the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray.